Good day and welcome to another episode of Man's Search for Muscle. I started reading a book this week called Principles, and I think the very first thing, it's kind of an unwritten principle in it, is that is the idea, the basic idea of having principles. And I guess this spoke to me because one of the things I've been doing in this podcast is trying to develop principles and trying to work through them. Now, these principles are things that I wanted to be broadly applicable. And, and this is kind of the concept of the book is these are principles he lives by the author. Um, his name escapes me at the time because I've been here. Let me pull it up so I don't sound completely foolish. Um, it's uh, Ray Dalio. And I guess he was a pretty successful investor and business owner. And he wanted to write down principles that he found that he lived by. I think some of them are things he came to somewhat organically and maybe didn't necessarily acknowledge at first that these were things he was doing. But he wanted to document them in a bit of a way. And specifically, he wanted to help his his employees to be able to find a level of success too. And you've got to respect that. You know, when when somebody finds a level of success in their life and they want others to to have those same types of experiences, whether or not you agree with all of his principles is another matter, but I, I do definitely appreciate when somebody wants to share success with their employees rather than the the cronies who I think they're they don't tend to last you know and they want to hold people back because they're selfish and they want to keep them for themselves and in the end they don't get the best out of their people anyway so it's a short-sighted business model and it's one of the things I'm seeing a little bit in my current management at work that they don't seem to want to bring out the best in their workers rather they want themselves to look good and it's the same thing you know they won't last so um but anyway the the yeah so the principle of of simply having principles seems to be in and of itself very powerful and the principles i've been working on specifically have been trying to relate to improving from a psychological level and and a personality level as well as from a physical level and certainly in the area of trying to trying to be a better role model for my kids trying to be a better mentor for my son build that father-son relationship in a respectful and good way that will help him to be a good person in society and one day hopefully a good father himself I mean, this has been difficult because one thing that I have come to realize is while people, uh, I had no shortage of advice of people telling me, you know, you've got to lay down the law early with people and, you know, first define the boundaries and then as time goes on, you can loosen those and you don't have to be as restrictive as they learn how to manage those things and that's very wise advice the problem is that either i wasn't ready to hear it or wasn't capable of hearing it and what i did was i 
I've mentioned this before, but basically in the process of trying to raise my kids on my own, I tended to lean towards more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, loose boundaries. Um, I was not very restrictive and now I'm finding I'm having to tighten those up and reel those back in, which is way harder than if, than if I'd done it the other way first. And there's, of course, a lot of pushback from the kids, specifically my son. My daughter has been... Thing is, and this might have made it difficult, she's been able to self-regulate in a very mature, responsible way. And that's helped me that it's sort of validated a lot of my decisions as a parent, whereas uh, my son, on the other hand, hasn't been as good, and he could have done with better boundaries and restrictions in the first place, which is... You know, uh, all I can do right now is hope that I learn and get better. But it is one of the things that it's Im is important to me. And I'm trying to find better principles and principles that will help and guide me going forward. One of the interesting principles I was thinking about lately was... And, and it came it came about while talking with my girlfriend and she wanted... She wants to what's best for me and what's best for him. And she was wise enough in the beginning with her kids that she did lay out strict boundaries, which are getting broader and broader over time. So she's she asked me, well, how can I do that? How can I help you accomplish this? And... I thought about this for a moment and the word encouragement came to me because the thing is I know myself and I know that if I'm just regularly told this is what you should do, this is what you should do and feel like I'm doing a bad job, I might resist. I probably will resist. Whereas if the good things I'm doing are highlighted and expanded upon then then I can build off those with constructive criti criticism. So that was that was what I had asked for and I was so I began thinking a lot about this. I brought up encouragement in the past when I was talking about raising sons and being a mentor and how I feel that that's probably a good way moving forward is to give out no shortage of encouragement. And one of the one of the things that came to my mind, it was in the shower today, where some sometimes ideas tend to f work themselves through. And it occurred to me that one way to encourage people is through gratitude. When we demonstrate gratitude, it seems to be encouraging to people. And I know for myself, sometimes I think thoughts of gratitude, but I don't necessarily express them. So that's one area that I'm trying to work on is expressing my gratitude more vocally. And it's one that I've suggested to my son, actually, when I realized that I'm not good at expressing gratitude. And he might be the same, that he doesn't show it even when he's feeling it. And Again, taking this idea even further still, it occurred to me that uh, 
it, it brought me back to a conversation I was having with somebody months and months ago about different world views and and when it comes to the I'm, I hesitate to use the word miracle of life, but the amazing world that we are in, the fact that we have conscious minds, the fact that we can appreciate it, the fact that we're in this physical realm that works so amazingly well. And there's really two different ways of viewing that, as well as all the different things that some people might call serendipity or all when when you notice the stars aligning and a certain series of things had to happen looking back to get you to one place that you're really glad you got to and there's a couple ways of looking at that one is to is the atheistic way of saying how amazing is it that by sheer random uh, events this occurred and it brings a certain level of appreciation to all the things that had to go right and then there's the more um, either maybe spiritual way of looking at it which is that some of this was not necessarily destined because I don't think I don't think predestination is a really helpful worldview, but that certain things were put into action um, by, I guess, intelligent design, maybe is the way to see it. And whereas that, when you, you know, say, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, this is so amazing, because you'd say, it, you would say it's it's great that I'm here, but it would be a sense of gratitude to God or to whatever. And so it just made me wonder further, what is better, per se, if you had to choose? I, maybe you can have both. Both a sense of gratitude and awe or wonder or amazement. But is one preferable to the other off the top of my head if I had to choose I think gratitude feeling a sense of gratitude is probably a more useful thing because it's a good habit to get into just simply being amazed by how things are while that's good because you're acknowledging it um, it's similar but it's different um, and I'm not gonna suggest I know one to be necessarily better than the other. Um, but it did it did get the wheels spinning. And another concept that was that was coming up in my mind as I was thinking through all these things was something that I talked about it again. Again, I talked about it earlier in another podcast, although I can't quite remember which one it was. But it was the idea of when you're when you're trying to create your path and figure out what you want to pursue and what you want to be good at. 
how to do that and how to find the answers, or at least find a hypothesis that is plausible enough that you want to pursue it. And, and of course, this requires a level of humility and a level of acceptance that you don't currently know everything and, and a willingness to go find those answers and a willingness to ask those questions and a willingness to listen to the answers that come up. They don't always have to be external. I think sometimes you can ask yourself difficult questions and if you really think them through and really try to be honest with yourself, you'll come up with difficult answers that aren't always comfortable. And I think that's probably a useful practice. Mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking through this recently because I'd kind of gotten to a bit of a plateau in my training, at least a mental plateau. I'd been making good progress. I got my weight down to... Well, but within five pounds of where I wanted it, I didn't quite get to the level I was wanting to. But I think I was mentally stagnating a bit. So I was thinking, okay, what what do I want to... How can I change it up? And I thought back to when I'm... I was trying to figure out when was the period of time when I made the most progress physically. And the best answer I could come up with, well, there was, there's two answers. The first answer was basically the first time I ever really read and made, um, made certain changes to my process. It was, it was an amazing experience. So just, just to give you a bit of a, an idea of what happened. It was when, in 2009, I read the ebook by Tom Venuto called Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle, which you probably heard me mention before. Probably heard me mention it a lot of times. When I first read it, and I took it upon myself to follow the advice to the letter, I made very noticeable changes in my body. For the first time in my life, I'd read books like um, Body for Life, and done that as well as a, and I didn't really see any noticeable changes to my physique. I did a similarly structured um, body transformation program when I was in Vancouver. It was called Bodies and Motion. And similarly, I didn't really see a lot of change. Um, physically to to my appearance or my health or anything. In fact, my health got worse for that one. And but when I did this um this burn the fat feed the muscle when I read it and then did the program for about 12 weeks, a little bit more I think. For the first time I really saw changes and my belief began to change. Uh it was amazing. Suddenly I was like, "Oh, I actually can do things with my body that is within my control and within my power. Just that mental shift changed a ton. One of the things that one of the guiding principles of that was an idea that never really occurred to me before, which was to 
keep your don't spread your goals out in too many directions. Try to keep them pointed the same way. So whereas by in the body for life things, I was seeing these people gain muscle and, and get ripped in that. So my naive thinking was, okay, you can, you know, basically get big and huge as well as shredded just by following this plan. That's really not the case. So it got me focused in on focusing on one goal at a time. Um, so that was one of the times that I really noticed a change. Um, the other time was when I, shortly after, a couple years probably after that, I I got the program MI40 by Ben Pakulski when it first, first came out. And this was, this was taking what I learned in Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle to a whole new level because it was getting into the more intricate details of things and, and not just exercising, but really working on tweaking form and perfecting form to accomplish the desired results. So anyway, I decided, okay, well, since the MI40 program was a time where I made noticeable changes from where I was, I figured I'd, why not try it again and see what happens at this stage in my um, life and I, I think over the years since I first did that I've come quite a ways not see physically I've stayed relatively the same you know just kind of going up and down and those types of things but my knowledge base has grown quite a bit so I started that actually I think this week was my first week doing it and the one thing I've noticed is that my muscles are aching like they haven't ached in a while so so that was good I think it's the volume that's that's higher one of the things that I've noticed is different and it, and is probably quite important to the idea of of MI40 and hypertrophy in, in general is normally what I do is I'll uh, go, do either jump sets or that types of type of thing not even necessarily jump sets but I'll do one set of if I've got a split of let's just say chest and biceps I would do a, something for chest I'd say bench press I'd do my four sets of that then I go do four sets of biceps and then back to chest whatever I might do something like this this is broken up very much like your first muscle group which is normally the big muscle group comes first you do all of that and then you move on to the next body part that I think plays in well with the idea of building up lactic acid and, and growth hormone response so that's probably playing a big role in it so I am feeling fuller um, in terms of my muscles I'm feeling aching in terms of my muscles like I said as far as my body composition, that's harder to say because my, um, I don't know what it is, my, but my weight hasn't been going down and I don't know if that's because I'm adding muscle in part, that's probably part of it. And also my, my diet hasn't, I mean, it's been good. I've been, I haven't been overeating per se, but it's not been timed quite the same as I normally like to do it. That's partly just because it's been pretty chaotic 
in my life lately. Not necessarily in a, well, some good, some good ways, some bad ways. I mean, I, I was in a go, uh, bargaining a contract with, with the union and then my, I had in-laws coming and visiting and staying in my home and there was March break here. And now there's the whole coronavirus thing going around, which is causing all kinds of stress, not stress for me, but stress around me, which I'm just taking the approach of not worrying too much about it. It's funny, my wife was telling me about a, a post she saw on Facebook, and it was something like, I'm not, I'm not stressed out by the vi because of the virus. I'm stressed out because of the way everybody's overreacting to the virus, which to me seems like, and to an extent, I I kind of see the point in that. It's it, it's also kind of a devious type statement, right? It's suggesting while well, people are worse than the virus, which is stupid. It's like, if people are worse than the virus, then shouldn't, theoretically, shouldn't you just let the virus wipe everyone out? Like, it, what you're saying makes absolutely no sense in that way. But even from the, the, le, the, the more straightforward idea, it's kind of saying, it's kind of an overreaction to other people's overreaction, which feeds into the overreaction. So it's kind of a self-defeating type mentality. From what I can tell, we see a lot of those actually, self-defeating ideas. You know, the things we want, we foolishly do exactly what we shouldn't be doing. Thinking that it's right and, you know, an example is jealousy, right? We become jealous because we want more of somebody's attention but the thing is by acting jealous we they don't want to give us more attention so so that's a bit of a detour detour there uh, anyway yeah just wanted to share that uh, the the ideas I guess the the overarching ideas being principles I think and I haven't gotten too far into the book like I say some things I agree with him on some things I don't some of the conclusions he comes to, like, it's it's good that he lays out how he comes to them, but then I'll go, well, I get that, but I would come to a different conclusion. Um, but some of the general principles are quite helpful, one of them being believability, right? If you want somebody to listen to you, you've got to be believable. And this is another thing that I'm really seeing. It's really easy right now for me to point fingers at some of the managers uh, above me at work because they're saying certain things, but then their actions fly right in the face of that. So how are we supposed to believe you? How are we supposed to trust you? And the thing is, trust is, trust is an interesting concept by itself because trust requires a little bit of faith and it's not necessarily a natural state of being because most people if they've been too trusting early on which most of us are you know children are very trusting 
So when we're children, we're trusting, we're, I guess you could say, naive. And we believe what we're told. And then we start realizing that that's not the way it is. People are able to tell us things that aren't true. So we start becoming skeptical and start thinking, well, maybe most of what people are telling us is not true. And we evaluate and assess basically everything. But eventually we need to get past that constant skepticism if we're to actually listen, like I said, uh, listen to the answers we get or listen to the things that are said and ultimately try to, despite our skepticism, put trust into somebody knowing that there's a potential for being hurt. So asking that of somebody, asking trust of somebody is no small ask. It's a huge ask. When, you, it, when it comes to your workers, if you constantly do things that makes them question your motivations, question whether or not you know you value your workers, why would anyone trust you? Why would they? It makes absolutely no sense. And if somebody doesn't trust you, if they don't feel valued, this, okay, I'm going to go on a tangent here because this is something else I was really, really thinking about earlier this week, which is that people, people are the most engaged in something when they feel that they are pursuing something really worthwhile. And normally that when it when it comes to working for an organization typically that means that you feel that you're you're working towards something noble something that is in line with your values something greater than yourself so that you're not just you're not just doing this small mundane task just for the sake of doing a small mundane task you're actually being part of something bigger that is good and worthwhile but at the same time, you also want to feel valued in doing this. So that combination of feeling valued and feeling like you are pursuing something greater than yourself is a very powerful motivator. It makes people engaged in whatever it is they're doing. You could say the same thing is true for, say, religious beliefs, right? You do things be because you feel that you are in the service towards God, you are engaged in something important and special and meaningful, and that God values you for it. And your community, you know, if you're helping them out, you feel that they are valuing you for it. So, but when you go to work and you feel that you're not being valued, and you feel that the company has lost its way, or at least your direct superiors have lost their way, it makes it very difficult to be engaged. And when you're not engaged in your work, generally speaking, you're not as productive. So it's amazing that even though in the interest of trying to save dollars, you wind up losing dollars because you're losing productivity in the workers that you already have. And what happens when you, when you do that? Well, either you have to hire more workers get rid of the ones that you've played a hand in demotivating, um, which might 
not be as easy as you think because there's obviously laws in place to protect people from just being haphazardly fired and in our case the union as well you know or you could do those little things that make people feel like they are valued and even though at first they look like they've they've gotten expense they pay off far more than it's even necessarily possible to capture on you know on a ledger sheet so so gratitude how about showing workers gratitude how about carrying these same principles of of encouragement and gratitude over into the workplace that would be nice as as much as i can say yes i wish my bosses were doing this right now i've made these suggestions and they seem to have fallen on deaf ears so i can't control that and that's another thing that's i think is an important principle is accepting things the way they are and realizing that people aren't going to change to conform to you the world isn't going to change to conform to you it's up to you to make the changes that you within your power so i can control how much encouragement i dish out maybe it helps them maybe it doesn't but that doesn't matter as far as my workplace well then if i'm not happy with it then i'm going to have to take steps to either change that change change my perception of it i have to decide if i'm going to just accept it or if i'm not and if i'm not going to accept it then i have to be willing to make some difficult decisions and that's what it comes down to so i think i'll leave it there 30 minutes of rambling about random things seems to be enough for this week uh so i'll follow up with you uh next time i get a chance about how the program's going and any other ideas i come up with so uh till next time work hard expect success